Next time on Dragon Ball Z, the narrator shows up at the anime dine-in. Can I take your order? Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Anime Dine-In Podcast. And I know what you're thinking. Where's Jeremy? Well, guess what? We actually came together to do a very special collab episode with the one, the legendary, Kyle A. Bear. That's right, the voice actor for Gohan, the narrator, Escanor from Seven Deadly Sins, and so many more. We sat down and talked with him. Also, I just want to remind you that the Anime Dining Podcast is brought to you by Lamar and the fans like you. Huge thanks to Burger Dude from the Geeks in the City Podcast for that amazing intro. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am Burger from Geeks in the City, and I am joined by Jeremy from the Anime Dining Podcast. Hey, everybody. And uh, today we're doing a special uh, cross episode, in a sense, where we come together, and we're coming together because we want to speak to the people who's behind the acting. We want to speak to the people that's inside the business. Everybody loves anime. Everybody loves video games. But what about the people who gives life to these characters, that gives life to these different things. Well, today we're speaking to uh, a very special guest today. Because uh, when you think of the word impactful, this person has been impactful in many of our lives. Okay, he's been in uh, Phoenix Wright, the game. Uh, he's been in My Hero. He's been in The Seven Daily Sins. He's been in a new Mino Cooney film that was released on Netflix. He has been in Digimon. He has been in One Punch Man. He's a famous character on Street Fighter. He's even been in Dragon Ball, but we most know him for his roles in Dragon Ball Z. That's right. We have the voice actor for Gohan, a.k.a. the narrator, Kyle Hebert, with us today. How are you doing today? Hi, doing great. Thanks for uh, running down the uh, the resume there, because uh, I've been doing this for like 20 years, and I, I, I sometimes forget what I've done. No problem, no problem. Well, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, surviving this whole weird world-changing event, uh, the whole isolation quarantine thing. So everyone listening to this in the future when it's over, this is a weird time to be alive. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, right. seriously. It's like, just it's just a strange moment, you know, like, like you said, it's just like, it's just a weird time. Like, I don't really have any other way to explain it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, traffic's great. That That's awesome. But it is a little eerie to, to look around and, like, there's hardly anyone out there. And you got to stand in line just to go into a grocery store. And even then, you're supposed to stand, like, six feet away or or else the law can actually legally, you know, step in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, seriously. they can they can put you in jail or fine you. Even it's 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 getting serious. Where the the politicians are like, guys, we're serious. You need to stay in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I've, I've been arguing yeah. with people all day because I've been I've been trying to tell people. I'm like, no, guys, I have allergies in the mornings. I've always had allergies, and they're like, you sure? I'm like, I've been having it for the last I don't know twenty something years. What's wrong with y'all? But uh, the way I heard it best put is. Treat it as if you already have it, and you're just trying to not spread it to other people. 
because you might as well have it because there's so many people that, you know, the symptoms don't show up in and they unknowingly pass it on to some older person or someone with a with a weak immune system and suddenly they're on a respirator or they, God forbid, pass away. So yeah. who wants that on their conscience, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, so that's actually, I think, a pretty decent segue. Um, so with all these new restrictions in place because of the time today, you know, a lot of people are staying indoors and binge watching Netflix, Crunchyroll Funimation, all those things. Um, so what are you currently watching? Oh, man. Well, let's see. Netflix just today uh, posted the third season of Ozark. Uh, me and my wife will binge watch a lot of stuff. We're big horror fans, so we'll watch stuff on Shutter and Amazon Prime and Netflix uh, and a, a lot of series. Right now, we're 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 uh, we're almost done with uh, Tiger King, which is just like the ultimate train wreck documentary. It's just like you just gotta watch it. Words don't do it justice. Fair enough. What's what's your favorite horror? What's your favorite horror film? Because you know, for me, I'm I'm a classic guy, so you know, I like all the Friday the Thirteenth things. Those are those are I got all those on DVD. Man. Those are my. Oh, favorite. nice, nice. Uh, yeah, the '80s were a great uh, time of reverence. I go a little bit further back because I'm a little older, but uh, The Exorcist, the Texas Chainsaw Ooh, Massacre, okay. the original. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the golden era from the '70s. You know. What about uh, you, Jeremy? But the, yeah. Um, I'm actually not that much of a of a horror fan, unfortunately. So I kind kind of out of the loop here. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'm, I'm more of a series guy, so like action adventure and different and uh, you know a little slice of life. Um, that's kind of me. Like I was growing up, you know, I was I always got like scared and stuff. So I just never really got too much into it. <laughs> hey, it, it, hey, no shame. You know, it's just like uh, there's certain genres. Just it's like I, I'm just not interested. Then others, I end up watching and go, wow, I was really missing out. But I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's a psychological thing. If, if if you are physically or mentally uncomfortable watching something, why would you subject yourself to it ever yeah. again? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Uh, so were you always into the horror genre, or was that something that you grew into? Oh, yeah, God. Like I was maybe 9 or 10, and I saw the first Friday the 13th, and I saw Alien. And I guess it warped my mind, because uh, all through the 80s, <laughs> As I as was getting older, I was subscribed to Fangoria magazine, which now is back in print, but you have to subscribe to it basically, and it's not available online, which is an interesting move in these day and times where print media is kind of dead. But yeah, it, it's like latching onto the nostalgic thing. Yeah, uh, as a big music guy, I loved and still do uh, rock and heavy metal. So the, the harder, the better. And so I was collecting a lot of music magazines and seeing bands like Iron Maiden and ACDC back in the day, Ozzy, hey. uh, Motley Crue, uh, it's good old times, but now I'm just jamming my head to like Lamb of God, Code Orange. Um, uh, I love nine inch nails. So they just put out two free albums of dark ambient music today. And hey, hey, there's some good, those some good bands, man. Ain't nothing to feel shameful about. And Jeremy, you don't got to feel bad either. Cause I only started getting into horror because my wife, my wife watched it with me. Like, you know, before her, I was like, <laughs> nah, I'm not going to watch it. So it's not, it's no shame. Yo, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I had I had to turn my wife into a geek. She was only a geek in training because her kids would be all geeky and she would be like, ah, I don't know. I've seen a couple of Marvel movies and then I just drug her with me to the theater once we became a couple and 
now she totally loves it. You know, it's like, oh, cool, cool. So we, you know, when Disney Plus launched, we binged. Uh, well, you couldn't binge it then. It was one, one episode a week. But The Mandalorian is amazing. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, just just wonderful, wonderful stuff. And we're learning in this streaming age what a great format uh, you know, TV can have another golden age and instead of, you know, one episode with one hour or a two hour movie, now you can take your time, let the story breathe and take, you know, 10 episodes, 20, whatever, several seasons and really build the characters and get invested in it. And it's really cool. Yeah. 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 Well, something I wanted to talk about because being really cool, uh, Kyle, I'm pretty sure you're aware of this, but you are the most beloved and hated man in Dragon Ball history because you are the guy when everybody was at the cusp of excitement. Like, oh my god, Goku just turned Super Saiyan. The one thing we would hear would be like, is Goku about to finish the fight? Find out next time on Dragon Ball. And we're like, oh. Dude, there's always this 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 debate among fans. Who's the most powerful Dragon Ball character? I'm going to just put it out there. It's the narrator. Why? Because he's God. Why? He controls because the he show. Chooses. He chooses when those battles begin and end. <laughs> that is true. I, I can. I would never deny it. Because, narr- you know, what people don't tend to understand is that if the narrator closes the show, that's it. We don't find out what happens until he tells us to. <laughs> Dude, yeah, yeah, serious. I mean, if if you said, what does the character look like? I don't know. He's never seen. He's only heard. So I've voiced all these characters you do see on screen through the years with Naruto and Bleach and Full Metal Alchemist and Gurren Lagann and Street Fighter and Fire Emblem Awakening and all these different things. And and Gohan, of course, too, an uh, older Gohan. But the narrator, that's, that's one of the first things uh, I got once I became a voice actor. Uh, Gohan was even before that. And then... I, I, I started acquiring roles. <laughs> I started getting like the narrator and then I got Ox King and then, uh, man, it's just going down the list. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. been a wild ride yeah. for sure. Yeah. So you were a fan of Dragon Ball, uh, before you actually were casted on the show, correct? Yeah. Before Toonami even started airing it, uh, it came to the States in 95 and all that was available then were the first two story arcs in English, but from Canada. Yeah, yeah. Funimation hired a studios up there in Vancouver to record it. And then they moved their base of operations to Texas. So a whole new local cast in Dallas, Texas, where they still are today. Um, Flower Mound, Texas, technically. But um, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they started with the whole trunk saga and everything. And uh, a year later, I got to try out for... Uh, Gohan, I forget who else I auditioned for. I, I mean, I went in in, the, in August of 2000. I was a DJ on Radio Disney, and I heard about auditions through some station co-workers who took a tour of Funimation. Because Radio Disney was all about, what are the kids into right now? Hey, Cartoon Network, what's the hottest property on Cartoon Network? Dragon Ball. Hey, Dragon Ball. And then I was in Dallas at the time. Radio Disney was based in Dallas at the time, just like Funimation still is. So... You know, they worked out some cross-promotion stuff, and we actually, on the air, were giving away Dragon Ball Z merchandise, but I couldn't say that I was a voice on the show, because that would show a conflict of interest. You know, Toye, Disney, blah, 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 blah. So, I couldn't do that, but it was pretty wild to 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 go from hosting uh, uh, 
you know, basically top 40 for, for kids radio show to walking in the booth and suddenly voice acting uh, characters that I already knew in a show I was already a fan of in a genre I've been a fan of since I was a kid growing up before the word anime even existed. Right. So right, like right. Speed Racer, Battle of the Planets, Star Blazers, you know, all this stuff was, you know, and there was stuff way before that too, going back to the 60s and yeah, 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 yeah. crazy yeah. Astro Boy and Gigantor. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember my father have uh, fa- my father actually has a couple of those on uh, VHS tapes uh, to this day because I think he passed his collection. There's only like five different tapes though, but he passed his little bit of collection on to me when I was like I believe like nine or eight or ten, and he was like, "All right, uh, before you start watching this stuff, you need to understand where it came from." And I'm like, "Okay," um, but yeah, that's that's amazing, um, and it's interesting that you bring up uh, DJing because I know. Um, I know Jeremy here. He actually has some questions about that. Uh, you say sure. you have some questions that you wanted to ask? Yeah. Um, so I just think it's really interesting that, uh, you, you know, you having this radio career before starting voice acting. Um, so Radio Disney was the one that you mentioned. Um, so I guess just in general, you know, what was that like? You know, what was your role? What did what what types of things did you do? You know, what was, you know, the whole package, you know? Yeah. Um, I went from, let's say I started at a radio network in Dallas that was eventually purchased by ABC. Disney bought ABC. So during all those years, I worked my way up from an intern, non-paid, to a part-time on the air at a hard rock, heavy metal format to full-time on kids' radio. I, I literally went from, in a matter of months apart, I'm introducing things like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, and then fast forward a few months, I got to keep my DJ name, Squeege. So I was, I was squeege on Radio Disney, going from Metallica, and now introducing things like Weird Al and Hanson and the Spice Girls, and then you know all that stuff, and and having just this literal playground where I had so much creative freedom, and uh, it was just an amazing um, opportunity, really. Um, I, I got to not only do the um, uh, uh, the DJ part, I also got to create things. I did character voices. So before I was technically a voice actor on, on any games or, or shows, I was on the air. I was creating characters and we were doing like infotainment type stuff. I had a character called Attitude Dude or Aptitude Dude. And Aptitude Dude was basically a surfer guy who could explain things. So, like, kids' questions, just basic things about life. Like, why is the sky blue? Okay, Joey wants to know. It's, like, totally cool, you know? Things like that. And um, different, it'd be wild. You know, I'd put these kids on the air. They'd call our request line. We had a phone screener that would would screen everything. We put the kids on the air and edit, you know, record the, uh, the phone calls while the songs are playing. And, you know, DJs have to think like four or five steps ahead of what's actually going on the air live at that moment. So you're loading up CDs at the time. This is before we were all digital. Before things became a digital jukebox, basically, we were running CDs. And before that, we were running eight-track tapes. They were just called carts, little endless loop tapes that you would put into a machine and... And all that stuff. And back in the old days in radio, you had, if you wanted to play something off a record, yeah, you got to play it on a turntable and you had to use a certain technique to, you know, start it. And it wouldn't sound like it's like, here's the song. You know, it would actually start just a half tick earlier. 
so you couldn't hear the, the the record starting and all that. So I had to learn the the basic old school audio production style, where you would edit on reel to reel tape, take a grease pencil and mark it, and cut it physically with a razor blade, and then tape it back together. You know, cut out all the blurbs and the and the screw ups and the coughs and all that. Now you digitally do it. It's so easy. And that's what we do now with, you know, podcasting and voiceover and all that. We're all digitally editing at home on, on desktops and sometimes even our phones. And it's, it's really wild to see how, how much, how far technology has come and how, how every industry has had to adapt to the Internet age. Um, right, right. Yeah. I remember back in the day, you know, before the Internet, <laughs> <laughs> before cell phones, we had to entertain ourselves. And then, uh, <laughs> And now you could just do it all in the palm of your hand, literally. Yeah. It's 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 wild. Do you miss some of those um, traditional techniques? Oh, of course, of course. Um, I think uh, I think anyone interested in working in the fields of broadcast media or film and television or or voiceover or it would do them a, a, a great disservice to skip over older antiquated technologies i think it's good to learn where we came from and then that that way you'll appreciate how far we've come in so little time how how greatly advancing even one year of technology can can take the less next level of tablets and cell phones and computers and the way they integrate into our society and social media yeah there's a lot of downsides and negatives but the positives if you're just addressing how it's connected us around the world uh, to be able to communicate with each other, to be able to instantly deliver entertainment or news or anything, the live pulse of the people instantly, uh, something you couldn't do 10, 20 years ago. And it's, it, it's, it's a great time to be alive, even though we're in this quarantine phase of a horrible pandemic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It, it definitely. I tell my students all the time, I was like, you know, everybody has a cell phone now. And I used to tell them, I'm like, you know, there used to be minutes to those things. And they were like, what are minutes? And I'm like, oh, boy, I forgot who I'm talking <laughs> to. You know, I was like, listen, at one point in life, there was a time of day where you couldn't speak to people <laughs> unless it was on right. the weekend and, after a certain and time. Before cell, yeah. And before cell phones, there were pagers. Remember that? Yeah. Beep, beep. Oh yeah, you, you if you see a payphone today, you people like got it. You have to like take a picture of it and be like document. It's like wow, what is this? Yeah, that's a relic. Yeah, I know, right? It's so crazy and things like that. But I wanted to ask, um, yeah, being that you've seen equipment, being that you've seen the music industry, how much it has grown and things like that. If you can restart your DJ career, but in this day, what in this era, what is the equipment you would be like? Yo, I gotta get because this would enhance me so much. Well, um, I know a tool that uh, there was a digital box that was basically a soundboard and you could program all this, all the different sound effects and drops, you know, quotes from movies or sound effects all and loaded into this, this, uh, basically a computer bank, right. uh, a physical little box that you push, you know, number one and you assigned uh, a bang or an explosion to number one and number two would be like, wah, 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 you know, do all that. I need all that on-demand stuff that I can pepper in when I'm playing back a call. I want to be able to record a call and then augment it with theater of the mind stuff. I, I've always been a huge fan of radio dramas. Back from the old days of radio, back when it was live. And when they screwed up, too bad. It's still going to keep going. So you had that 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 stress of like what's, what could happen. Uh, and adding music beds, soundtracks, sound effects 
all that sort of thing. I would, I would still stay immersed in that sort of style. My presentation as a DJ was always vocally kind of a hybrid between Robin Williams and Jim Carrey. It's like this guy is just bouncing off the walls. He's energetic. You know, it's like, Hey, it's squeege on radio Disney. And let's play our little backstreet boys. You know, I'm just doing all these wacky, like all over the spectrum voices and stuff and having fun with the, with the kids who would call in and, uh, I, I even got to interview uh, Weird Al. Uh, I talked to Will Smith over the phone once. And it's like, hey, I got to that was that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's to, awesome. To talk to some celebs, and it's yeah. like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So I don't think you told us, but uh, where where the name Squeeze? Like, where did it come from? Was it just something like? Like somebody you heard someone saying, you're like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm DJ Squeeze is in the like, yeah. Where did, it, where did it come from? It actually came from me and my best friend's board one night, and we came up with fake nicknames for each other. And uh, they were just completely off the wall. There was no context to it. There's no like crazy explanation, cool origin, or anything other than it was a funny-sounding name. Squeege. Squeegee. <laughs> and a squeegee, if people know, is, is that little thing that you wipe windshields with. And uh, sometimes homeless people will come up and start wiping your windshield, whether you want them to or not, because they, they want to make a little donation, right? They want to make a little tip. And there's nothing to that. I, I never went around squeegeeing people's car windows or any of that, but the name stuck. So when I got hired to be on this hard rock station, they're like, okay, well, Kyle, we like your name. It's cool and everything, but you need like a DJ name, some sort of on-air persona that's easy to remember that people won't forget. And I said, how about squeege? And the guy cracked up. He said, perfect. You're, you're squeege. Some people say, is that like screech from saved by the bell? And it's like, nope, not at all. Not at all. I think it's cool to have like, you know, an origin origin name like that, especially considering that, you know, you made it around with your best friend. So it has a special place in your heart and things like that. I think everybody did. It. When I was a kid, uh, sometimes me and my friends, we would like, we were big on wrestling. So we would have all these like, over-the-top wrestling names and things like that so you know it's really cool to like really be like oh man like dj squeeze is in the building it's like oh god everybody's like so right yeah and and you know pardon me while i geek out you mentioned wrestling i grew up watching in texas we had the von erics okay Ooh, okay. Old school okay stuff and i kind of fell out of wrestling for a while but right when hulk hogan hit and all that and i totally missed the attitude era i wish i was still into it then then i got into wwe in, in the the like about 2016 2017 and then it got started getting stale but then along comes aew and i'm all about all elite oh my god oh man you're I, all I, in I'm a blast I'm all in, man. Oh, man I, yeah. I follow a lot of the wrestlers, and a lot of them follow me now. Chris Jericho started following me today, and wow. I've been blasting on tw on Twitter back and forth with them, trying to get them to pay attention. It's like, hey, I'm Dragon Ball Z narrator. I'd love to voice something for AEW. And finally, Chris Jericho DMs me and says, hey, man, you know, we, we, we'd love for you to, to, to do something for us. Oh, How do we yeah. make that happen? So like, oh, my God. Not oh, only man. did he retweet me doing the Judas challenge, for those listening, Judas is his intro theme that his band Fozzie did, and he put on uh, this past Wednesday on AEW Dynamite on the TNT network, he had people do a, a Judas challenge where people could just videotape themselves singing Judas, Judas, 
do a karaoke version. So I decided to have the Dragon Ball Z narrator kind of just do the chorus and then like do all that. So search that out. It's on social media and that got his attention. He retweeted it and a lot of other wrestlers started following from AEW, Joey Janela, uh, Leva Bates, uh, Nyla Rose said, that is cool. And like, wow, I'm finding out that a lot of wrestlers are anime fans. (laughs) oh yeah man yeah i think that's like one of the interesting things is like you find people out there that it's like because right anime is like used to be something that like not a lot of people were into or like it used to be a quote-unquote like geek thing but now you're finding out like basketball players are into it movie stars uh athletes like football players like it's just so prevalent that's i think that's something that's really cool about the fandom right now Oh, totally. And uh, when you see celebs of all, I mean, I, I remember hearing from Travis Willingham. He told me that he got to meet Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor confessed to him, basically. It's like, I'm a huge Full Metal Alchemist fan. It's like, what? Obi-Wan Kenobi likes Full Metal? What? And then John Boyega has even tweeted about this stuff. He's a huge Naruto fan. I'm like, what? I'm, it's I'm, wild. I'm telling you, man, the, the impact that the anime community have made. And I guess that goes into like you know I guess in a sense my uh, first question. Uh, okay. What, what was your um? What was the defining moment that made you decide uh, you wanted to become a voice actor? Because I do a little voice acting on the side and personally, mm-hmm. and I know the moment for me that made me be like this is what I want to do was mm-hmm. basically uh, when I was a kid I was big on Pokemon and like all the cart Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. But I was a real Pokemon fan and uh. At my library, there was actually like a little uh, little convention. It was a little anime convention. I was like seven or six, something like that. My mother took me and went to the panels, and I think it was the voice of, uh, it was the voice of James. I think it was him. It might not have been him, but I think it was him. But I know we went there, and it was great, and we got to meet the actors. And my mother mm-hmm. was like, hey, so she was like, my son loves you guys. He's always yelling at the TV. He's pretending he's there. And I'm like, be quiet, mom. They think I'm cool. And I'll never forget what he said. He was like, oh, that's because he wants to be a voice actor. He grows up, and like that thought sat with me. And like, m- like as I got older, I was like, you know what? Yeah, this is what I. Someone, what this is something I wanted to do. What was that defining moment for you? You know, because you talked about watching Astro Boy and Speed Racer. What was that moment for you when you was like, this is what I want to do? I and- think it was really more uh, because there weren't really conventions dedicated to it. I mean, yeah, there was like Comic Con, and, and like few and far between, there'd be like pop culture type conventions. But when I was like eight or nine years old, my dad is, is giving me his own version of culture. He's introducing me to the Three Stooges and Looney Tunes. And watching Looney Tunes, I fell in love and still love those classic Warner Brothers cartoons, Bugs Bunny and, and all those guys. Uh, my dad told me that Mel Blanc, one guy, voiced all these characters. And that stuck with me. So naturally, I would take a cassette recorder, because that's all I had at the time, was sitting there do parody commercials and do all these different voices. And I said, now, one day I want to do what Mel Blanc does. And, you know, he passed away in 1989, right after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in theaters. And the last thing he did before he died was play Bugs Bunny on that movie, having a back and forth with Mickey Mouse, where Warner Brothers and Disney were fighting with each other. How much screen time is Mickey and Bugs going to have? And they have to have the exact same amount of lines and and all this stuff. And as, as far as I know, Mel Blanc didn't ever go to any of these pop culture conventions, Comic-Cons or anything. There's, there were no anime conventions back then. And I never had a chance to meet the guy. But I know people in the industry who have. And uh, he really, really 
you know, that planted the seed in me from, from an early age also to be a, a DJ in the radio because I was shy growing up mm. and I'm still pretty introverted. Actually. I, I love being a homebody. So a quarantine, no big deal for me. I love <laughs> sitting at home playing call of duty on my big 4k TV and, and what net watching Netflix and I'm good. Oh, so, man. and listening, I, I'm back into vinyl collecting again. I got a nice turntable and I love spinning records and, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. But, um, yeah, that was one of those defining moments, uh, uh, for both of my career goals to get into radio. And then that happened to transition into voiceover. A lot of radio DJs also kind of moonlight and, and do voiceover for commercials and such. Um, uh, in fact, Doc Morgan, the Dragon Ball, uh, narrator from Kai and the new Kakarot game and Fighter Z and all that. Uh, he, he comes from radio. In fact, I used to listen to him on the radio, on my local radio station in Dallas. It's like, oh, man. man, what a world. What a world. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so having Mel being one of your influences to become uh, a voice actor and, and radio as well. Um, so I think about when I was growing up, it was just me and my dad and my brother, you know, we would sit down and watch Saturday morning cartoons. That was the thing where we would watch like Pokemon and like, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh and all those things. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, did you have any like cartoon time rituals or like, you know, when Looney Tunes was coming on, like you knew exactly when, or had a favorite segment. And with, with me, this was before VCRs. I mean, as I got a little older, eventually VHS came out and I was able to pre-record things because, you know, and now we're an on-demand society. God forbid anyone tune in at a certain time. People will just like, I'll listen to it when I want to listen to it. So now we have, you know, the whole podcast generation, which is fantastic. And the same with movies in the streaming format where people can just watch when they want to watch and on their own time. And that's how people can actually get real real-time ratings, you know, metrics of like, how many people are watching this show? Well, here's the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Whereas in the old days, you had diaries like the Nielsen rating system where, where, they, where, where people would do this weird numbering thing and have one family fill out a diary as to what they're watching and that one household would represent 500 houses. And it's like, this is not accurate at all. How, how do you know how many people are tuning in? But now... We do know. We, and, you know, yeah, they're tracking every move you make. It's a little scary, a little rise of the machines, you know, Skynet and everything. But yeah, it's a cool thing, too. It's like, how many people are watching or listening to my show right now? Ooh, nice. Live numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think something, um, me and Jeremy, we both come from the, the podcasting world and things like that. In fact, we were just talking about it. Like, wow, look how, look how far, uh, you know, out of the analytics and look how far we've come with, like, ratings and numbers like you know i remember uh when i had like i do a show and i'd be like wow three people listened to me and then i would call my friends i did it and i'm like did you guys listen they're like nah it wasn't us and i was like oh but then i got happy again because i'm like wow three strangers listened to me and i and i'll and I, and I just be so giddy and excited and things like that um definitely relate to that feeling <laughs> yeah um but um i know that um i know that you did theater in, in school and things like that um, something I wanted to ask uh, regarding to theater is that um, everyone talks about when pursuing voice acting and things like that of how important it is to uh, theater play the role in uh, in their acting in their acting lives and things like that. Um, 
but how difficult would you say it is to adapt to the theater style especially being someone that is an introvert or someone that is shy or a little nervous or a little you know off putting to people like Ugh, like you know yeah well, see, that, that's interesting because that's a rumor. I actually didn't come from a, a stage background other than a couple school plays when I was really young. Uh, I didn't get involved in my theater drama program in middle school or high school, uh, again, because I was shy. I was a band geek. I was on the drum line. But um, as far as acting goes, uh, I guess I, you know, there was that little bit of raw talent versus being at the right place at the right time. Luck plays a huge huge part in any freelancers success in their respective career. So, um, I ended up taking classes after I started with Funimation, which is weird. I'm doing it backwards. I, I, I took some improv classes and some LA voice actors and voice coaches actually came to Dallas to show the DJs because it was such a creative environment at radio Disney to create characters and, you know, learning the differences between like, oh, I love voice acting here. I can imitate so-and-so. And it's like, no, it's not about those because the voices are already cast. You're not going to replace them. Chances are nine times out of 10, those voices, uh, you know, they're cast and they're not going to be recast except in this super rare thing where maybe the actor is not available anymore or they dare they, they pass away or, or something like that. But nine times out of 10. Everyone casting people for voiceover gigs and on camera in any sort of play, obviously, they want to see what your acting ability is. Can you uh, convincingly portray a character and bring a range of emotion to the table and take direction, be flexible, but also commit to your performance and take notes from your director? Obviously, the, the basics, the etiquette thing about showing up on time, don't waste time, don't be a diva, be nice. Be, be grateful, be generous. So the universe can be kind to you. You know, the voiceover community is so supportive and, and wonderful. And, you know, there, there's just no time for, for people that got attitudes and, and egos. It's like, check that at the door, man. We're here to have fun. And, you know, getting paid is icing on the cake. It's like, if we can make a living doing what we love, that's the be all end all right there. It's not about getting rich and famous. It's about doing something that feeds your soul. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you talked about so okay. So you mentioned that when you were that that you started learning more of like the acting uh, skills once you were already in that transition or got casted for roles. So was that like a difficult transition coming from radio skills to? doing voiceover or like for a especially for anime like because it's already done so transferring those to those different paths like was that difficult for you the the transition for like doing character voices wasn't hard for me but in the world of radio commercials that aren't necessarily driven by character voices or cartoony type voices that's more you know they're, they're back in the old days that you'd have a narrator some sort of guy doing that which ironically i became a narrator a monster truck tractor pool guy this sunday 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 which the, what the dbz voice and i wasn't the first uh narrator by any means uh, that goes to doc harris and um a couple other people before me and after me but um the biggest trouble i had was adapting to giving convincing commercial reads using acting and not sounding like an announcer 
because a lot of DJs would just have this sort of uh, approach of it's like, hey, this thing's coming there and this is coming up next. You know, it was sort of a nouncey sort of, uh, you know, like, okay, this is a some cheesy sort of uh, DJ dude. And, and, and now, you know, they want people, clients for their commercials, want people that sound like real people. So if you have people who have some sort of acting training plus some, some, a, a good bit of natural talent and instinct for that sort of thing, they can sound like they aren't actors, if that makes any sense. Um, so you, you take all these classes and invest all this money in training and moving and buying equipment and then end up getting hired to do something like, hey, John, uh, what's that coffee you're drinking there? You know, it's like, wow, okay. Because commercials is the most lucrative and common force of uh, uh, type of voiceover there is. And I would say anime dubbing is the hardest type and typically the lowest paying, which is so weird. Dubbing things in post-production is something that's done daily in the live action world. Every movie star, TV star has to come in and dub their own lines because when they're filming things, there's planes going over, people's cell phones going off, the mic doesn't work for some reason, so they end up having to mimic the performance they gave on the final edit. And yeah, the, everything you've ever seen has a moment in, in terms of live action where the person speaking is not who you're hearing. And there's voice matches, which is kind of in the same department, the same ballpark as doing impressions. Like Tom Hanks on Toy Story didn't do every little bit just like Tim Allen didn't do all of Buzz Lightyear. All the effort sounds of like, wah, wah, you know, they, the, the celebs didn't have any time for that. They're busy filming movies. They're like, all right, I'll, I'll come in the booth for like two hours, and that's all I can do. Then I got to go, go off to Hawaii and film something. So meanwhile, they go do that. They hire voice actors who can voice match the celebs. And we'll come in, we'll get paid, not nearly what the celebs make. No, not by any means. Uh, but come in and uh, replace the actor. And sometimes it's a temporary voice. Sometimes it ends up on the final product and people are none the wiser. Uh, sometimes wow. if you stay through credits, you will see voice actors credited under additional voices. Not always, though. Those, those huh? people are sometimes involved in loop groups. The people that come in as a group to do crowd scenes and, you know, one-offs like a restaurant scene or people panicking in the streets or whatever. They'll yeah. hire what's called a loop group. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they'll just credit the loop group instead of the individual actors. But sometimes you luck out and the studios will be courteous and actually list who got to be who. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, funny that that's... you bring that up. Um, because I remember I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2. And I could have swore I saw it. Like, wait, when was he? Like, I saw your name. It was like, I think he was. Dude, yeah. I yeah. didn't know I was working on that until someone did a screen cap and they tagged me on Twitter. It's like, oh, I'm in that? Because at the time, they're so secretive. A lot of these companies are so secretive and protective that uh, they'll have code names for the project. And they'll even have alternate names for the characters you're doing. And, you know, they're so afraid of leaks getting out there that they won't really really inform the actor and that's to a detriment i think if the actor yeah. is informed and understands the context they're going to give a better performance and we do sign ndas non-disclosure agreements so we could legally be sued for for leaking info and tweeting without permission and all that stuff and that's happened before to some people and uh they're serious you know they'll 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 
even worse than than getting a fine is getting blacklisted. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, this studio yeah. won't hire him because he he talks about the project he recorded today. It's like we didn't tell him he could do that. So when you see a voice actor on social media promoting something, they have permission to do it. Hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. yeah. Uh, what was your biggest like? Oh shoot, I was in that moment. Do you have one of those? Uh, well, Red Dead was was certainly one of them because I seriously don't remember ever recording in a booth thinking, "Oh, this is a game set in the old west." I just don't, <laughs> and that's a first world problem. I've recorded so many projects through the years, so many games. I can't keep track of what I've done because more often than not, I'll do the additional voices role. I'll be the background guy. I'll be man A, demon C, general B, you know, things that only have a name for a script's sake, but characters that aren't named on screen for the viewer or the gamer to get immersed in. They'll be like seeing this dude walk on screen. He says two lines and then he's dead. Well, that could have been me. I mean, (laughs) I die for a living. I like to say so. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely an eye-opening moment. And then learning uh, that I was recast in Star Wars The Old Republic game. I was a non-playable Jedi. I forgot his name. Uh, and then it comes out. Turns out I'm in the credits. I got paid to record, but I'm not on there. The voice was totally recast. And I get why they recast it. When they recorded me, Lucasfilm is on the phone patch. They're in San Francisco. I'm in a studio in L.A. And they're saying, okay, he's, he's kind of like Qui-Gon's age. So not young and all that stuff, which totally was not what happened. They ended up redesigning the character. He totally looked like a, te- a teenager. So I get while they said, all right, some guy in his 50s is not going to work for a teenager. I get that, but I kind of wish they had called me back in and say, hey, can you voice a teenager? It's like, have you watched anime? Have you watched Dragon Ball Z? Yes, I can voice an old guy. I can voice a young guy. I can voice a monster. Just give me a chance, man. But that didn't happen, so I was was, uh, genuinely hurt by that because I'm the biggest Star Wars geek ever. That's one of my biggest goals is to, I don't care, voice a stormtrooper who says, ah, and gets killed. So I could say, that was me. I would love to be able to do that, like Lex Lang or Yuri Lowenthal or Steve Bloom and some of our anime video game compadres in, in the VO community who have gotten to voice in Star Wars and uh, the DC and the Marvel uh, animated universe. Mm, okay. Well, something that um that I wanted to bring up, it's funny that you bring up uh, just wanting to be in Star Wars and you're like, hey, a Stormtrooper, because uh, people tend to forget that the Wellhouse scream from that Stormtrooper it's actually one of the most legendary yells in like Star Wars history. Like even to this day, people still talk about that. Just I can't even imitate it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So like, just like, just you can have one moment, and then just like, it'll still be like, wow. It'll be talked to this yeah. day. Lucas and Spielberg would would famously use that scream in everything for decades, and I think Rise of Skywalker was the first one to not have it. But the guys in the sound design department are like, we, we have a new version of that. And I, don't, I have no idea what, what scream that was. I don't know if there's a commentary track on Rise of Skywalker. I'm curious to hear it and you know, to see if like, because that Wilhelm scream is just so iconic. I mean, it comes yeah. from like a 1950s yeah. Western. And for whatever reason, that just became a go-to sound for people dying, getting shot. And it's oh, just, yeah. it's, it's awesome. too fun. It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, well, being that we're, we're talking about uh, different shows and things like that, something that I'm a big fan of, and Jeremy is here, so we're a big fan of Bleach. Now, we got an announcement a couple 
about last week that the uh, the Bleach anime is going to be making a return uh, 2021. How do you feel about that? Like, I am surprised. I am very pleasantly surprised. I thought for sure they would have announced this and had it in time for the 10th anniversary of Bleach. Then that came and went. And I'm like, okay, it probably isn't going to happen. You know, the more years pass, you know, it's more of a nostalgia nod. But I think they'll be able to cash in on that wave because a lot of people love Bleach, even though that's a older show at this point. But um, a lot of people are like, hey, where's the end? It ends in the manga. How come it doesn't end in the anime? It's like, for whatever reason, they decided not to. Now, yeah. um with them announcing a final arc, yeah, I hope that it gets licensed to have a dub, first of all. Second of all, I hope they bring back the actors. Because that it's not guaranteed that it'll get a dub, and it's not guaranteed that they'll reach out. I mean, it would be kind of silly in my eyes if they just recast everyone, because, man, when you recast a dub, the fans are very vocal about that. It doesn't yeah. work out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo! So, yeah, I would love to come back because Aizen is my favorite villain that I've gotten to voice through the years. And, yeah, um, even if he doesn't have much to do, at least give the guy some closure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all want to know what's happening. Seriously. Uh, Bleach is definitely one of my favorites. So I was, like, super excited to hear that it was coming back. Like, uh, I'm one of the people that was, like, when it ended, I was like, I have to know what happened so like got all into the manga and i'm just like super stoked for it to come back i would cannot wait to see all of that animated <laughs> yeah um, i'm sure you can you can envision envision it as you're as you're reading the manga going i could totally see this animated uh, uh when's it gonna happen so i'm glad that it's going to happen and i really hope fingers crossed that uh that we'll get to do a dub and they'll bring us all back because uh, i know that that show is special to so many people and we had so much fun working on it too yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, conventions. Um, so obviously, you know, anime cons are some of the biggest conventions that um, happen, maybe aside from like, you know, the big New York Comic Con or like Dragon Con and all of that. Um, so I'm curious to know, what was your first convention experience like as a guest? So when you were there... And they said, hey, Kyle, we want you to do autographs, do a couple panels. What was that like for you, like, the first time you did that? And, like, just seeing, like, a whole line of people just there just to just to see you and get to talk to you? It was so trippy, man. It was, it was wild. I went uh, – this was in Dallas at the time, a uh, convention that's still going on today called Akon. I went to Akon first as a fan. I went – while I was a DJ at Radio Disney, and I took a portable mini disc. How's that for a dead format? A mini wow. disc recorder to record any voice actor interviews I could get. Uh, I wanted to talk to Veronica Taylor, the original Ash from Pokemon, but she wasn't available. So I ended up talking to Tiffany Grant, Asuka from the original Evangelion dub, and Brett Weaver, also another back then ADV voice actor and now Sentai in, in Funimation. So those were my two first uh, voice actor interviews. Fast forward a year later, I'm in the industry. I'm on D Dragon Ball Z, and suddenly I'm at a con, a con, and their guest again. And it's like, this is wild. Now I'm on the other side of the mic. What? Like, this was a goal of mine. And, wow, talk about being at the right place at the right time. So, yeah, it, it was pretty trippy. And being a part of Dragon Ball Z and the huge force that it was even then, 
now it's even bigger, but it was huge. Then, uh, seeing the line just wrap around, uh, at the time we didn't have a, a dedicated place to do the signing. So they actually had a sign at a table in the dealer hall, which is, if anyone's been to a convention, they know that's not a good idea. That is no, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> no, but they learned, they learned yeah. eventually autograph sessions were held in their own dedicated rooms, panel rooms, or big auditorium settings to where you could have everyone get out of the way. So people who wanted to shop could shop and, and all that sort of thing. And yeah, so just unbelievable. Uh, getting to, to meet fans and it's like, first I started as a fan, then what I have, fan- what it's like, dude, I'm just the lucky guy with the cool job. But yeah, yeah man, it's, I, I pinch myself to this day that, uh, something as big as Dragon Ball led to a huge career, a huge change in my life that ultimately led me to leaving Dallas and coming out to the West coast here in Los Angeles to, chase that dream of being a full-time voice actor and and here i am yeah awesome um yeah i think that i think that's really cool um i'd like to hear some of those like transitional stories like i get really interested in like the career path and like you know the different changes that people go through so i think that that's a really good story um one more follow-up on that is uh still along with going with conventions um when you were going as a fan Right. So what kinds of like, so what was like your con experience going as a fan? So like, like you said, you did, you did some, try to get some interviews. Did you ever try to cosplay anything like that? Like, uh, that? Dealer no, hall. I never really did the cosplay thing because, uh, I see so many people sweating and it just looks miserable and it's like, ah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be ripe. <laughs> yeah i don't have the patience to i don't know i don't know how to knit i don't know how to put together things and, and hats off so much props and respect to every cosplayer out there who who bust their butt all year long to to and save their hard-earned money just to to be at a convention over the course of a weekend and some lucky people save up enough money to go to multiple ones and, and pay ungodly amounts of money just for the badge, the hotel, the flights, or, or, or driving and, and staying in a room full of 10 people and whatnot, trying to scrape together enough money to eat. And like, no, Pocky doesn't count. You have to eat food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the cosplaying community is really, um, like, has really transitioned because I see a lot of people, some people can actually uh do it for a living. Uh, I know a couple. I have some friends of mine who that's all they do. They um they go to these conventions and things like that, and they get paid to advertise for the conventions, and that's what they do, and they love it. So it's it's very cool to see that you know so many like niche things are now something that people can do if you have the passion for it, you can make a career out of it, and that's the that's the coolest thing that we're able to see now in today's world. So that's yeah, I'm you a see, big fan of. you'd see cosplayers, you see makeup artists, and then they got hired by. Hollywood to work in TV, indie films, big budget films, whatnot. And they, they come from this background. And now thanks to social media, again, YouTube, Twitch and whatnot, we're all getting connected and able to cross promote things. So eventually someone that follows someone else that, Oh, Hey, I didn't know you were a fan of this. So am I follow, follow, you know, all that stuff. And it leads to places, which is amazing. And suddenly opportunities that wouldn't necessarily have happened before the internet are now happening and and you're getting to see how much talent is really out there beyond the lucky few who are able to, and, and, and not to denigrate how much, uh, 
time and energy, blood, sweat, and tears they had to go through to get their success in life. But now it is a little bit easier in the technology age for people to at least get their signal out there, to market using the free marketing of social media and, and to get their and get their message out there and their voices heard, quite literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, something that, a fun question that I've always thought about, because everybody knows how much you love the great Sam, man. Everybody knows the, how much that character means to you. If you could make your own film starring the great Sam, man, but the catch is the only people can be in the film are people you voiced. Who is in it and who's the main antagonist? Oh my gosh. Well, I think because they're so similar in voice style because they're both by me. I think Kamina is pretty much the great Saiyan man. So Kamina from Gurren Lagann. It's like, that's the way Team Gurren rolls. And he kind of sounds like being the motivational speaker that Saiyan man is. Like, ah, I'm going to beat some fashion sense into you. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, that's sort of big over the top cheesy fake superhero did we ever learn why gohan bothered with the whole superhero route i mean that that universe is used to seeing people fly and have powers and everything why was he trying to hide it it's weird because when when you still see them go to the uh, martial arts tournaments they're still shocked and baffled by it every time they see someone floating in the ring it's like man you guys must have this not must have not been the same crowd from the dragon ball tournaments because uh they did a lot of that in there like yeah, and, and on that earth, you have talking animals all over the place. In fact, like the president character is like King Furry, who I did voice too. Like, mm, yes, Sal is going to attack. This is terrible. And, you know, you have obviously a big talking dog bear thing. And, and people are like, they're cool with that. But if a human flies, what? So, but I mean, I, I do appreciate that for whatever reason, the wacky universe of Dragon Ball let Gohan stretch his comedic chops and show that he was a multifaceted character. He wasn't just strong and pure. He was a big nerd and, and awesome. And uh, just see just himself be able to have some fun. And of course, meet his eventual wife and mother of his child and all that fun stuff too. So yeah, say a man was just a man. So much fun to do, especially the rap, which I don't remember, but I know it's on YouTube. A clip of the great Saiyan man rap is, wow. <laughs> oh, man. But if, so if Kaima is the great Saiyan man, who is the villain of this great Saiyan man film in your eyes? Gosh. Because every film needs an antagonist. It's not a, it's the, everything, every good book needs a climax, and to get to a climax, you need to have some type of force. All right, now we know if you voice so many characters, but if there could be one antagonist, who would it be? Golly. Well, I'm trying to think of how many bad guys I've voiced. Matarame in Persona 5. I go all the way back to Karasu in the Dark Tournament saga of Yu Yu Hakusho. Maybe him. Because he actually does turn Super Saiyan. He goes from black hair to blonde. <laughs> he kind of powers up. Maybe he has a chance. So yeah, Karasu, who strangely ironically has the same voice as Eisen. Hmm. I ripped myself off. <laughs> I got some friends in the draw community. I'm going to get that started. Con versus Karasu. Let's, we're going to try to make it happen, man. Ooh, yes. Right, we're going to make it happen. And we're going to try to reach out to you so you can voice it just so it's realistic. And Hey man, you never, <laughs> you never know. Maybe in about 
five, seven years, this could be, it can, it'll become the next anime. We'll never, we can, we might get that great Saiyan film after all, or we could get a live action. You never know. Dude, anything's possible. Bleach is coming back. What? Right. Right. <laughs> we are in the world of surprises these days. Um, being that um, Bleach is coming back and things like that, out of all the shows that you worked on, because it seemed like a lot of classic, I remember when Dragon Ball Z Super got announced, and I was like, wow, really? It's coming back? And then Bleach is just made the announcement they're coming back. Even Digimon is getting a reboot. Uh, the original Digimon is getting a reboot. Is there any show or anime that you worked on in the past that you would love to see, see make a return or get a reboot in that, in that sense? Something like maybe like Higurashi might come back. You know, something that you'd be like, I think this would be cool to see if this came back. Uh, hmm. I only had a small one episode character and I forgot his name, but Space Dandy. I'd like to see that come back. I thought that was hilarious. And um, that was the first time that was the closest thing to a broadcast dub. They had at the time, you know, they were getting it out, I guess, in English before Japanese even because it was a co-creation of of Japan and co-funding with Cartoon Network, basically. Right. So, you know, that's a world marketplace where there's multiple investors from all these different countries. And it's it's interesting to see a piece of pop culture like that come out. It's like, oh, dude. So the, the creator Cowboy Bebop has this new like outer space comedy action show this is great and ian sinclair just kills it as dandy he's like yeah. hilarious i love i love space yeah. dandy so much i would love space dandy is one of the good ones yeah <laughs> I, would, I would love to see a, a reboot or you know a second season just it's just so funny i haven't felt seen a show that funny in a very long time i think my first uh well, that, that that brings up another interesting comedy. Out of all the genres of there that there is in anime, there's your etchy, there's your there's your comedy, there's your actions, there's your thrillers. Where do you where do you where do you like to lay at? Where do you, where is your preferred genre? Because I'm a comedy guy. I love a good comedy slice of life. Oh yeah, comedy is is fantastic, um, and it's hard to to. I mean, with something as culture specific as anime, to to make something that speaks to a North American audience, you know, uh, Shin Chan is hilarious, but it's not true to the original translation at all. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those weird hybrids where it's like, okay. Uh, the client's like, make it your own. Okay. <laughs> well. What was another show? I think ghost hunt did that too. I think, was it ghost, ghost hunt? stories? Go- yeah. Ghost story. Oh, yeah. Ghost, ghost stories. Yeah. Ghost oh, stories did that. Like I, I see, cause I, I see the dub. I seen the, seeing the sub for it and then a buddy of mine was like man you gotta watch the dub and like i was like oh my god this is like the greatest thing i've ever seen i, I want to see that now that, that i want to see that make a season two i'm gonna just put my stamp on it like yeah and as great as and iconic as full metal alchemist is it kind of already had a reboot it, it with, with brotherhood it got to have its you know manga faithful manga faithful adaptation and that's one of those ones between that and you know, Cowboy Bebop. I don't see how you could bring it back, really. But those are one of those things that I I will recommend to friends who don't watch anime. I said the stories and the characters are just that good. Just 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 watch these. Yeah. And they come back and go, "Wow, that was really good!" Like, duh. Why did I lead you astray? Come on, man. Got to let people know, man. There's a lot of great things out there. If anybody would know, you would know. Like. I worked on a lot of things and you know, the great thing about anime is just like in live action, there is a genre for everything, every age group, every weird 
obsession. <laughs> it's all there. Things for the little kids. Things for the twisted people. Things for, you know, you watching a show and your only reaction truly could be just, oh, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So speaking of like some of those weirder, more quirkier animes, I wanted to bring up a recent one that just dropped on Netflix that uh, I believe you played two roles in, and that is uh, Beastars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, have, have you had a chance to, to check that out yet? Um, or like no. actually like see, okay. So this one I thought was really interesting because, um, it's like, it, it's a nice slice of life anime and it's surrounded. I guess the best way to describe it is like a rated R Zootopia. Um, where uh, you have like these characters, these characters that are animals, and then they like uh, they get into themes like falling in love with each other and like uh, high school or school drama and different things like that. Um, so I was just kind of wondering, like what like what your take was on some of these on some of the more like quirkier ones uh, that are out there. So that that you've been in. Well, uh, I'm glad that uh, something not as mainstream has a chance. Because with every title that people have heard of, there's so many more because, dare I say, there's a glut. There's, there's too much, actually. And trying to, to, to find something for, for everybody's taste can be difficult. But when you have something quirky and original, you know, uh, for, for an audience and a culture that, that kind of looks down on reboots and, oh, don't they have any new ideas? Well, when the new ideas come out, and then some of them tank. You're like, well, you didn't give the new stuff a chance, but yet you complained when the old stuff was getting recycled. So how do how do you defeat that? How do you how do you get over that obstacle? But at least the artists are trying. You know, when they when they get something unique like a B stars that it does well enough on Netflix that they can greenlight a second season. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. And it's like that's not necessarily a genre that gets a lot of spotlight yeah. uh be talking animals blah 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 yeah for cartoons and for for shows geared more towards kids but now we have an adult version right like you said zootopia for grown-ups um it's like okay well just like with on netflix you have love death and robots which is adult animated shorts and it yeah. really pushes the boundary and and with different types of artists different animation styles and yeah, it's heavy on the adult themes, but it's like, yay, cartoons for grown-ups. Yeah. And I don't see why using the word cartoon is a bad word when, when applying it to anime, because anime is Japanese animation. What is animation? Cartoons. Um, yeah, I'm definitely on, on that same thought process. Like, it, it's all, it's literally a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and stuff is like oh it has to be from japan and like well guess what most anime is is animated in korea <laughs> so well there you go <laughs> and many cartoons you know it's just cheaper to hire animation overseas to to do things like the simpsons and and things like that so yeah it um, is what it is it's a world market man seriously <laughs> um so do you have like a favorite like obscure uh, and I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be anime, uh, like obscure type of show or like or cartoon or anything that that you particularly like. Uh, mine goes back to it's been years since I've seen it, but I love The Tick from the 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I love the, the tick. tick. Has had had several ones most recently on Amazon. Before that was a live action with Patrick Warburton, which was brilliant. But the cartoon, I go back to the '80s when it was a comic book. So I was already a fan of the Tick as a comic series, which parodies the superhero genre. And then out comes this great cartoon that was it was really out there. It was strange. And yeah. I remember Earthworm Jim. Earthworm Jim got made into a cartoon. I thought that was funny. It had Earthworm Jim voiced by Dan Castellaneta, who's Homer Simpson. And then you have all these different things. I went through well, they're not they're not obscure necessarily, but maybe just right. before a lot of today's thing. Animaniacs, which are coming back, I think, to Hulu eventually, but Animaniacs was struck uh, that struck gold. That was like a new renaissance for Warner Brothers. Uh, more obscure stuff, man. Golly, there's just so much, so much out there. Uh, it's almost like you have to just go down this this rabbit hole on YouTube, and suddenly you hear a familiar theme song and go, "I remember that." <laughs> right. <laughs> I remember loving the animation style of the Men in Black animated series. Yeah, I do remember that. Oh, that was dope. I think Peter Chung direct. Uh, I think Peter Chung did the character designs, and he did Eon Flux, which was like anime-ish on MTV back in the day when they played music videos. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that they, they they just they did used to play music videos on. Man, we live in a very. I'm forgetting how much stuff used to be different now. I'm so. Yeah, and then they started doing these request shows, and they would play like 30 seconds of the song. And like, all right, here's number one. Da, da, da. And then they'd play like up to the chorus and then fade out. Like, all right, thanks for joining us. Like, I thought you were going to play this song, man. Oh, man. That's... Now I got to go back and look. I used to record, uh, back on the end of VCR, I used to just record shows in the beginning. I did get a couple, like, I think I recorded the Spice Girls video. I'm about to go and find it now. I think someone's done. But um, something I did want to ask, and then um, I do have some, I know uh, me and Jeremy, we have some questions that uh, fans want to ask you and things like that outside of the things we want to ask. But um, I, I don't really like the the, the the fact of saying, like, hey, is this going to be the next uh, you? You know what I mean? I do voice acting sometimes. Like, oh, you're going to be the next Johnny Young Botch. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather be the next me, you know, and try to, you know, do things on my own. The thing that Dragon Ball Z made the impact it did though so i can't help saying it what do you think is going to be the next anime to make that same type of impact that dragon ball z made like where 20 30 years later people are still going to be talking about it like yeah do you guys remember like that show it almost created a culture i think the closest thing we have now is my hero Mm. yeah yeah, I th- I think uh, that's the closest thing we have. It's not quite to the Dragon Ball level, but uh, it's hard to say. Maybe maybe the thing that, that that's just going to cross generations, maybe it hasn't come yet, and that's exciting. It's like what's around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My Hero is actually considered uh, the new big three of anime uh, of of today of today's uh, generation. It's the new big three. Uh, the old big three was uh, Dragon Ball Z, it was Bleach, it was Naruto, all shows that you're in, and things like that. And they're saying that the new big three, uh, I believe they're saying, it's a little debate on the third one. Because it's My Hero, and they're saying it's Black Clover. And then uh, they say that sometimes it's One Piece, but you can't be a new big three if you're part of the old generation. So right. they're, they're still trying to fill in the blank 
for this third one but uh i definitely see my hero being that next big show like uh demon slayer personally for me is something i'm like yo this is really this is really crazy because i think demon slayer is one of those shows that uh it was trending number one on twitter off an episode and i was like what what's going on here like like, yeah i got to do some bit parts characters on there and uh, basically, Toonami is the Kyle Bear cameo show. It's, <laughs> it's, it feels like I'm on every show that they show. <laughs> yeah, because he was in a lot of the Gundam shows, too, like I remember. Done a lot of Gundam. I, I've been done One Piece. Uh, yeah, all over. Not Black Clover, though. Mm, okay, well, you never know about the future. There's a lot of Black Clover episodes coming out there, so you never know. True. Um, uh, so I have some fan questions and things like that. I got some things that, uh, you know, the fans wanted to basically, because when I told them, I was like, hey, guys, so listen, we're talking to Cal Hebert, and it was like, stop lying. And I was like, no, nah, I'm being serious. And it was like, oh, my God, the first thing you got to ask. And I'm like, all right, hold up. Uh, can y'all give me a little list real quick? So uh, I'll just, you know, go through those real quick. So uh, basically, uh, Miller, uh, Sandra, Sandra asks, uh, who's the toughest character you voice? emotionally and vocally and why <sighs> I haven't had any hard time emotionally with a character vocally is basically anytime it's a technical reason anytime that I have to scream for a long period of time so a lot of these fighting games like Street Fighter I love that I get to be Ryu it's amazing but all the you know Hadouken Shoryuken Rah that shreds your vocal cords after so long. And we've got everything to help with uh, lozenges and spray and Chinese cough syrup, but your voice will give out. You know, we're human. So uh, I don't like if my voice is shot and then I end up having to reschedule my, my next session the next day or something like that. I, I don't like that having to happen. But hopefully the, the studios will remember and to remind you that it's like, hey, your session on Tuesday at 10, um, it's going to be vocally stressful. That's a polite version of saying, we're going to kill your vocal cords. Oh, yeah. I, I, okay. I've, actually, I've actually experienced that one time already. I was like, oh, so I have to yell for this amount of, okay, all right. Ha, oh, yeah. all right. It's not going to come out the way I thought it is. So, yeah. that's uh... Yeah, and Dragon Ball Z was kind of like a boot camp for for. for screaming because of all the power up yells i mean they they scream more than is possibly human so we you know we would scream for as long as the breath would hold it pause take a deep breath and then scream again and then they would like mix them together in pro tools the software that we recorded into and they would blend them and then add reverb (laughs) and all this stuff is just no human can scream this long guys and then i'm getting like Oh, I'm getting lightheaded. Let me sit down. Woo. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another uh, fan question that we have listed is, uh, and this is referring to um, Aizen. Uh, so what was it like playing a secret villain? Um, it was really neat because I didn't necessarily know when I auditioned that he was the big villain. I knew that his audition script asked for uh, a character that sounded friendly, but kind of mysterious, kind of creepy, but not necessarily bad. So I pulled inspiration for that voice from a sci-fi classic movie from 1968 called 2001, a space odyssey. And on that movie, there is a computer on board the spacecraft called the HAL 9000. 
and he has this friendly sort of soothing voice, even though he ends up pulling the life support and killing a bunch of astronauts. He's like, I'm sorry, Dave, I didn't do that. <laughs> you know? And cool. then I went, yeah. I went to that with my audition and that's what they used. That's what they liked. And they hired me based upon that. And I didn't have to tweak the voice. A lot of times they'll hire me for something based on the audition I gave. And then I get to the booth and they'll say, okay, we like what you did, but now we're going to tweak it. We're going to make it higher, make it lower pitched whatever, or make it slightly different, but at least, Hey, I got in the door with what I thought would work with the character. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. One of the most iconic characters in, uh, anime history and things like that. They didn't make enough, uh, merch of Aizen. It seemed like they made pop Funko figures and they made, you know, plushies and all that. I didn't see Aizen get a lot of love. He got like a little statue minifigure once or twice, but Come on. That's what I'm telling you, though. That's what the that's what the return is for. Okay, the Bleach <laughs> return was for all the Eisen merch. That's what it really is. Okay, okay. we all know Eisen has that big important role. So I'm telling you, you're gonna be signing a lot more, a lot more than plushies coming up. I can promise you that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll be ready, man. Um, Char, uh, Char Fredbert, uh, asked, um, on all the shows you worked on and things like that, which role in any franchise feels most like yourself as a character? I think Gohan, I think adult Gohan, not in the respect that I'm big and bulky and can go super saiyan. I like the nerd aspect. I like the fact that he's just a genuine good character. He stands for good things. He has pure intentions. He, uh... He's a big dork, just like me. I'm a big geek, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I've always been a nerd, and full frontal nerdity, man. Let those <laughs> let, let your your nerd flag fly. Uh, now, especially that it's considered cool. I mean, I don't know if people still get uh, bullied over liking that stuff, but I've always been like six three, so I never got bullied for liking cartoons or, or liking anime and all that stuff but i know a lot of kids did unfortunately yeah, and yeah. hopefully we're at a point where that is gone or that's minimized at least so people are getting the word out there it's like hey uh sub elitist stop hating on dub people just because they prefer it in english just like dub people shouldn't hate on the subs for preferring it in japanese if you're the creator of this show you want to reach as big an audience as possible. And so in order to do that, you're going to have to produce it in everyone's local language. Not everyone wants to read subtitles. It's just a fact. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, it's not a judgment. It's just what people are comfortable doing. And I noticed that with me, I am just personally more comfortable watching something in my native language. And I'm not saying it's better than the Japanese performance, but I can't judge the Japanese performance because I don't speak Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> seriously yeah definitely um so one that i had uh another fan question that i had um so this one i think is kind of interesting uh and i'm kind of trying to wordsmith it a bit um so with voice acting and really acting in general and doing radio you know that's a very um competitive career and something that uh comes with a lot of risk um, so while you were going down this path, you know, what were like, were there any other types of like career paths that you kind of let go in order to pursue this? Um, you know, or what types of things like, did you have to like either shift around or sacrifice to pursue this career? 
Well, I did have to pick up and move my entire life, uproot everything. Uh, I didn't know a soul in L.A. except for a couple of industry contacts. Uh, Jonathan Klein, who runs New Generation Pictures, they did the dub for Street Fighter in Helsing. And I knew Steve Bloom. Uh, and uh, those guys basically went above and beyond. They said, hey, when you come out here, let me know, and we'll, we'll try and schedule you for something, or we'll pass your demo along or something. And those guys really, really helped me uh, get established out here. Uh, leaving a full-time job with decent pay and you know at least a predictable paycheck and insurance benefits and, and walking into the unknown. If I could go back in time, I would have saved a lot more money because I went from I'm getting along, my bills are paid to I'm instantly broke <laughs> and there's no yeah. way to turn. I can't go back to radio. What am I, what am I going to do? And I end up trying to supplement my income by working on internet radio production, just, you know, producing some talk show stuff and just trying to, to, to light a fire under the, the voice acting thing. But I ended up securing the agent that Steve Bloom has. I got more work through the studios he was working at that do anime, like Studiopolis. They did Naruto. They did Bleach. Um, mm-hmm. And New Generation, of course, I got on their talent roster. And then I got to do Street Fighter and <clears throat> things like that. And Jonathan Klein was instrumental in, in nudging Disney when they made Wreck-It Ralph, saying... Hey, we noticed there's Street Fighter characters in this trailer. You know, we have the we have the dub cast right here in town if you ever want to use them. And uh, they ended up hiring me and uh, Ruben Langdon to reprise our Street Fighter roles for a cameo in Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's great that we're seeing more films like that. Uh, you know, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, uh, Ready Player One was a, was a big one, you know, where it was just like, it's, it's all about the gaming world and it's all about the video game universe uh it's another uh show that i like that's like really embracing like you know game the gaming community uh what was that what was it like auditioning for ryu uh yeah i had to sign an nda which normally i do sign the non-disclosure agreement after recording you know basically stating i can't talk about it without permission until it's out uh i had to sign that just to audition so capcom had this little three ring binder of of character audition scripts and i signed it and uh the name of the game and all the all the code names were on there for characters so ryu was called something like dave or something you know but i saw the character designs under the audition scripts and i'm like i know what this is and yeah i geeked out i wasn't great at street fighter i'm not a good competitive gamer at all i'm casual man i am Operation Meat Shield in Call of Duty. I get sniped so fast. But I love button mashing fighters and, and all that stuff. So I knew how iconic Street Fighter was. And getting to try out for Ryu, Ken, uh, El Fuerte, um, E Honda, and um, golly, a couple of others. Uh, I didn't think I had a chance. I said, no, this is too huge. There's no way. Because the mentality a voice actor has to have, I mean, it's mandatory, uh, or else you're going insane, is to do the best you can in the audition and then immediately divorce yourself from it. Don't think about it. Don't, because you'll just go nuts going, I hope they hire me. I hope they hire me. Chances are they're not. Because it is, like you said, it's super competitive. So I did my auditions and I went home and I got on with my life. And then fast forward a couple of months, I'm in a convention and the director for uh, Helsing was also set to direct the dub for Street Fighter 4, Taliesin Jaffe, who is now with the Critical Role Gang, 
Um, and he said, hey, man, congrats. I said, for what? And it's like, oh, you didn't know yet? And I'm like, no, what? I'm like, you got the man. <laughs> and he hinted like I knew what he was talking about. Like, oh, my God. Pinch myself. Crazy. And that led to, to, to being in things like Wreck-It Ralph and Super Smash Brothers. And it's like, how did this happen? This is, this is wild. I had no idea that I would get to play such an iconic character, an iconic franchise that's, that's so huge and is showing no signs of slowing down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think Ryu's going to uh, go next? Because like you said, like him popping up in uh, Super Smash, that was a little of a wow. Ryu's in Smash Brothers. What's the game do you think, man? Wouldn't it be crazy if he popped in as like a guest character for like, let's say remember that assurance uh that assurance raft game that came out and it had that like playable street fighter mode i think it was in dlc um yeah yeah it was dlc and they like let you play as assurance like the street fighter format and stuff like that where you see where do you think it'd be cool if you was like yo what if they put ryu in here maybe soul caliber maybe dude that would be that would be epic but now uh i guess soul caliber is what namco and all that there'd be a lot of fighting and bickering back and forth it's it's hard to get those team ups you know but you did have tekken cross or street fighter cross tekken and they kept the rumors kept going out that they were going to make the, the the reverse one as a sequel but i've heard no progress about that one i mean and, kuma is in tekken though you, he is in tekken 7 yeah yeah so uh as far as where ryu could show up next i don't know i mean maybe if they continue to make capcom marvel versus capcom and I hope they do, because that's always a fun series. And that's the one I have better luck button mashing at anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so I think uh, we just have a couple more uh, questions before we close out here. Um, so I guess we can just jump right into that. Um, so the my last question for you that I have is uh, regarding social media. So... With that being so prevalent, you know, you have Twitter. Um, I know you're also on Cameo and did some work with Unlocked. Um, so with all of those things being around, you know, the gap between the fan base and, you know, celebrity has gotten really small. Um, so do you have any thoughts on the, on how that's impacted fandom overall, whether that be positive or negative? Um, I think that every actor and creator definitely thrives on feedback they'd like to know that their art and their craft is being appreciated on some level so i know that i'm super jazzed to get to be able to to get feedback as quickly as social media allows and from around the world um like avenues like twitter instagram facebook uh and now unlocked where i have a weekly stream on on saturday nights and I'll talk to the fans and, and try to make it as laid back as possible. It's like, this is like a chill version of a con panel. We're yeah. going to have fun. And it's only as comfortable as the actor or the talent wants to make it. It's like, I, I love interacting with fans. I always have, ever since I, I got on 20 years ago on Dragon Ball. Um, it's just whatever people are comfortable doing. And I think there's a lot of actors and creators that before social media, they weren't really interactive. They weren't on the con scene. They weren't, you know, they'd just go home to their lives and they had no idea. You know, the, the, like the Transformers cast had no idea that, you know, they knew it was big, but they had no idea that people looked up to their voice acting performances, Peter Cullen and Frank Welker and all these people, you know, they were just having fun in the eighties 
you know, going to a studio and getting to record, uh, uh, you know, cartoons and entertaining kids. But when you hear the stories from the fans nowadays talking about how their lives are touched, whether it's just plain entertainment or making them smile or, or laugh or, or, or just get out, escape reality and, and deal with uh, horrible life crises uh, or even crushing depression and escape that just for a little bit with a game or a show that that's like, that's icing on the cake that you can put no dollar value on. It's like, yeah, we, we, we like to get paid for what we do and we love what we do, but to make a difference in someone's life, I had no idea that I would be able to do that. You usually hear that about doctors and historical yeah. type figures and all that. You don't really, I'm not used to hearing that as far as entertainers go, but I'm starting to hear it now on social media where musicians are talking about, you know, musicians, uh, other musicians in the new generation looking up to the older generation and artists, the same sort of thing, celebrities, same sort of thing. And it's like, how do I get started? What do I do? And it's like, I see a lot of crossover, a lot of the same questions. People yeah. are just eager to, to, to become a creative, uh, you know, self-employed type to where you're your own boss and it's stressful and, um, you could take all the steps necessary and still not really achieve any great length of success. But if you stick to it, uh, who knows what the future holds for, for anybody. So I encourage anyone who has a dream or even, even thinks about doing something in the industry, the pop culture world, uh, beyond just being a fan, becoming one of those creators, uh, that they take steps, little baby steps takes years takes 10 years to be an overnight sensation. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Uh, well, I would say that my, my last question, and, you know, sorry if it's super generic, because I know you've heard it so many times before in your career, but uh, being that we live in the world that we live in today, the, the desire to be a voice actor is extremely high, and there yeah. are so many sites out there, and there are so many uh, fan projects of, like, where you can start and get into the world i know a big uh, group uh, team four star i'm a big fan of those guys i love them and you know just a bunch of guys just parodying their favorite shows and now team four star is like it's like an alternate universe into the dragon ball z uh universe and they they, they do official voice acting for like big companies now things uh for funimation and a couple a couple of them what advice can you give to any aspiring voice actor uh to do uh, or how would they achieve their goal? I think the key is remembering that the name voice actor, it's not about doing the voices. It's about being an actor. So many people are, are voiceover talent that just are, are hired based on their natural speaking voice. And, you know, you don't have to be a jack of all trades. You don't have to be a Mel Blanc to be a successful vo voice actor. You know, there's, there's Scott McNeil, there's all these other people out there that are amazing at doing all this wide range of characters. Well, guess what? If, if the studio wants to hire them, they'll hire them, but they're going to hire every actor based on what their strengths are. And if their strength happens to be a young hero type, then yeah, hire the guys that, that excel in that particular sound. Um, and and whatever you bring to the table, like you were saying about your own path, it's like, no, you don't want to be the next Johnny Young Bosch. You want to be the next you. And I really admire you having that 
uh, perspective. It's important to stay realistic about that. People are not going to hire you because they think you're the next Bart Simpson or, or, or anything like that. What you bring to the table is in your demo. Your demo represents your acting ability, your acting range. So don't cheat and take shortcuts and just throw something together on your home computer and expect to get hired. It's a long process. So I would invest in the craft first, just like a doctor has to go to med school. A lawyer goes to law school. An actor needs to train. You don't have to get a degree in acting to be an actor by any means, but you do have to get some sort of acting foundation. So Google for classes, or if you're still in school, take advantage of the drama classes. I don't feel like being a hypocrite by suggesting that because everyone in the field, almost all of them came from that. I'm a rare exception that came from radio, but almost everyone else has a theatrical background and getting that foundation of acting will do nothing but help you, whether it's on camera, on stage, um, audio plays, audio dramas, uh, get yourself out there on social media, follow Facebook groups, uh, look where, where the conversations are being had by, by talent, whether they're veterans or new people in the industry, get perspective, be a sponge, absorb all the stuff you can, uh, visit this great voice acting blog website. It's a tool. It's just overpouring with resources and great info. It's a blog by voice actor D Bradley Baker. It's called, I want to be a voice it's literally that simple. I want to be a voice actor.com. Lots of great, helpful things. And nowadays with technology and now, especially with the stay at home stuff, uh, there's links to, to how to create, uh, an inexpensive relatively version of a home recording setup, because now we can't even go to recording studios. Studios have to come to us. We have to be able to hop onto <laughs> Skype and other things like source connect and, and be able to record from our home setup. So that's probably something that's going to really alternate uh, uh, a change and and evolve the way the voice acting industry works from now on. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really well said. <laughs> um, so I think that is all of the questions that, that we have for you. So uh, I would actually like to thank you for making the time out to come and chat with us. I think we had some really good conversation and um you know gave some really in-depth uh knowledge so you know i think uh, the fans uh you know and, and us you know definitely appreciate the opportunity i'm 100 the moment you said i think i really respect you i was like i passed out for a second i just came back to conscious right now i'm, I'm not gonna go lie guys so thank you <laughs> <laughs> dude i'm uh, a big believer in paying it forward when i see the same passion in someone else's eyes as me because there's so many people that can just say generically i want to be a voice actor and then a lot of people will see wh how much work's involved and then they say okay that's not for me never mind and that's fine it's a personal decision. You have to decide if you want to take all this mental stress and anguish and trying to come up with the money to take the classes and buy the equipment and pick up and move where the work is. That's crazy amount of stress. And I totally get it. If people don't have that mindset and they don't have a thick skin, then they should not consider this. But if they ask the hard questions and they say to themselves at the end of it all, you know what? I'm willing to put up with it because I want this that bad then by all means, give it a try. It may not work, but if it doesn't, you're still going to come out winning because you will have learned things along the way that you wouldn't have learned otherwise. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, I want to thank definitely. you so much. I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, today. 
uh, Kyle. Uh, everyone, this has been a, a very special episode today. And uh, like I said, if you if you get a chance, you know, like like it and share it. Tell the world. Tell people what you learned today because this is a very important knowledge has has always been something that isn't free, but it should be. And we learned a lot today. Um, I'm personally extremely happy to hear uh, one of my childhood favorite. Oh man, this is. I, personally, I still don't believe we just had this interview, but uh, <laughs> right. So I want I want to thank you so much for joining us, guys, and I want to thank everybody out there. You know, stay healthy, of course. Uh, stay inside. There are a lot of different things you can do. Uh, you guys just heard uh, Bleach is coming back, so you know, right now is a good time to binge watch all eight of those seasons. Uh, that excuse I don't I don't have time. Well, yeah, there you go. Uh, get. Watch some shows, man. Do you know? Stay home, stay healthy. Be the ones that you love, and uh, enjoy your day. That's Take right. That sounds better. good. Binge all the episodes of this podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell, <laughs> tell, them, tell them again <laughs> next time on Geeks. I can't even do it. I won't even do it. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. <laughs> definitely a good my pleasure, guys. All right. Thank you.